Amen. And all the people of God said, Amen. It is true. He is thrice holy. He is blessed Trinity. And in Him we delight. In His law we meditate both day and night. He is the first and the last. He is our fortress, our strong tower, the one in whom we trust. In Him has been the one mediator, Jesus Christ. And there is not another name under heaven whereby men, sinners like us, can be saved by a holy God into fellowship like children adopted in grace. Let's pray together. Lord Father, you have put the seed of that confession in our heart. We walked in darkness, alienated from the reality of your holiness. In our ignorance to your holiness, we thought that our sin was something we could rationalize. We thought we could say things like, I've done more good things than bad things because we didn't know good. We only knew bad. And then your spirit unhinged the door to the dungeon of which we lived not even knowing it was our prison. Light came in. Our chains fell off. And you called us to come to life and follow you. Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. So we have in front of us this passage of Scripture, Father, that gives us these instructions. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you continue to do the work in us that you began in the moment when we first believed. So make us walk in this truth. In the light of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Please take your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 13. <clears throat> Romans chapter 13 and verse number 11. We'll read together Romans 13 and verse 11. The word of the Lord says, besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Friends, salvation, the day of the Lord, eternity, is closer to us now than when we first believed. In fact, the night is far gone. Day is at hand. Therefore, so, let's all together cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You can be seated, children. You can be dismissed to Children's Church. <clears throat> If we're going to obey this command to wake up 
from a state of drowsiness, sleep, slumber, we'll start by confessing the night is coming to an end and day is at hand. In other words, I don't think there will be a sort of God-honoring, consistent function where there's not first confident belief. As we just proclaimed in communion, Jesus is coming again. And whether or not we truly believe that, not just on a spoken theology level, but on a lived theology level, will determine whether or not we wake up and know the night is almost over. So in last week's sermon, we heard that call from verse 11, wake up, and the reason for the call is because daybreak began when Christ rose from the grave. 1 John 2, 8. Here's a new command I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because darkness is passing away, and true light is already shining. Darkness is passing away. We talked a little bit last week about this idea it's always darkest right before the dawn. And that's fine if we want to use that. But please remember that that took place on the day Christ died on the cross. When what was true spiritually was evident physically. And in the middle of the day it became dark. That was the darkness before the dawn. And the dawn is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Night is far spent. Day is at hand. Let me ask this question. When I think about this analogy, which I think is really helpful, Spirit of God tells Paul, teach Christians about being uh, uh, sanctified by talking about the way we sleep and then the way we wake up. What's hard about waking up? What's hard about waking up? I mean, really, when the alarm goes off and it's time to get going again, you did not get enough sleep because you worked hard the day before and you've got a full day ahead of you. What's hard about waking up? A very welcoming bed. A very comfortable bed. Sleep is really important to me. Managing sleep time is important to me. Playing, you know, playing the nighttime sound thing. Really important to me. Having the right pillow. I'm a, what's that, my pillow? I'm a my pillow guy. That's not an endorsement. I don't get paid by him to say that. But I'm a my pillow kind of guy. And, uh, it's important to me. But what happens is, then that, that quality of sleep, which I'm thankful to the Lord for, then the alarm goes off. <laughs> and it's comfortable. And so when, when, when Christians, when we say to each other, hey, live like it's already day because you believe day is coming, that's hard sometimes because we're comfortable. The title of my sermon is Going Toward the Light. This is the second part from last week. This context all relates to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Would you flip back to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2? Here's the call. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's Paul's summary of the first 11 chapters. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So right there, based on God being merciful, all those people who are ransomed into his family are called to do the work of a spiritual priest. 
spiritual worship. You can't do the spiritual worship of a priest if you don't get the second verse right. As spiritual priests performing worship before our God, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be influenced by what is outside of you shaping you. That's conformity. Be influenced by the Spirit of God renewing your mind and creating from the inside out transformation. So we're talking about the process of God's redemptive plan. We're talking about the progress of redemptive plan. Jesus Christ is to us the declaration, this nighttime, this darkness will not last forever. Jesus is the light of the world. So all those who look forward to his return will three things from this text. We will walk, I'm sorry, we'll wait vigilantly. We will war valiantly. And we will walk virtuously. We looked last Sunday at our waiting. You remember the analogy of the football field? We could get distracted by the down markers on the sidelines and take our eyes off the certainty Jesus is coming again. So I don't know what yard marker we're on. And I don't think it's of utmost important for us, utmost importance for us to discuss what yard marker we're on. I think it is of absolute importance to say Jesus is coming again. This is the light. This is the day. And the night is far spent. So we talked last week about waiting vigilantly from verse 11. You know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to you now than when you first believed. Let's look at our second point. Second of three. The one we're going to start with today. War valiantly. War valiantly. That language comes from the, the 12th verse. Because, so you know the time. Don't be sleepy. Salvation's close because the night is far gone. We talked about that term. That is to take a soft piece of metal and hammer it out over an anvil and watch it stretch. It is far stretched already. The day is at hand. So, here's our purpose clause. Here's our motivation. Here's our call. Here's our, here's our, uh, our instructions from our king. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The works of darkness... That sounds terrible. But the fact is, it's not always that vile, that reprobate thing. They are, sometimes, works of darkness are that, that spiritual or that worship lethargy. It is, it is just to abandon our call, to forsake our first love. We, we might think that the works of darkness, so murder and adultery, we might think, oh, those are the works of darkness. But I want you to understand that we're being called to wake from drowsiness, which indicates we might be committing a sin of omission, not necessarily commission. What might people be omitting? I think it certainly includes our worship, our spiritual vitality, and such. And I'll talk to you about that in a moment from Ephesians. 
there's, there's numerous signs, innumerable signs of things we might be omitting due to sleepiness. He says, let us cast off the works of darkness. I want you to understand, friends, that the works of darkness are the natural condition. Darkness is the natural habitat for evil. So the works of darkness are the default function of all of us. And they must be put off. But he says, put off those works of darkness and put on equipment that is suitable for life in Christ. Danae says the Christian life is not a sleep, it is a battle. That's simple and important. The Christian life is not a sleep, it's a battle. But it depends on what you think about salvation. If you think salvation is to be forgiven from condemnation so that you can stand rightly before God someday, and you think that's the end of salvation, you might think all that I need to do to be saved has been done Now I can rest. But he doesn't say rest. He says, put on the armor of light. Armor is important imagery to Paul. Talks about it in Corinthians and Ephesians, Thessalonians, Romans, 6 earlier. It's not necessarily, okay, you've all got helmets on, but let me teach you about faith or let me teach you about the scripture He's, he's not necessarily teaching us that this piece of armor is this thing because he, he mixes the metaphors as he uses them in different books. However, being equipped, being armored, being prepared in general is important to Paul. In Christianity, whenever we read there's something we're supposed to put off, the Bible always comes and says here's something you're supposed to put on. However, look at verse 12 with me. Just look, look at the verse you'll see that there's something that is unpredictable. It's interesting. He speaks of putting off works of darkness. We would expect to hear him say, so put on works of light. But he doesn't say that. He says, put off works of darkness and put on armor of light. Life as a battle was important to Paul. The word for armor is Aplan. It means instruments. Paul's already talked about it. Listen as I read from Romans chapter 6, verse 13. In Romans 6, he says, Do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness. That's the same word as armor. Don't present your bodies as instruments to perform unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments, as armor for righteousness. It's hard to imagine a scenario where the Spirit of God would tell us to put on armor if we're not in battle. But we know, of course, from Scripture, places that state simply, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is spiritual. So, this is not just any armor. This is armor of light. This is Christ's armor. Let me take you to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would, please. And if you have a handout, you'll notice several bullets in your handout, blanks. I would like you to fill in a couple of things here from Ephesians 5. Because the question might be, what does it mean to be wearing Jesus' armor? Armor of light. 
And I think we get a nice summary list in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Okay, here we go. First, wearing this armor will include things such as discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Waking up, being clothed in Christ himself functionally includes discernment of what pleases God. Second, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Live in transformed contrast, not conformity, but transformation, and expose darkness from light. This is what light looks like. That's, that's darkness. So he says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. And then verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. In other words, there is a sense of stewardship, urgency that comes with wearing the armor of light. Look carefully how you walk. He says next, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's an understanding, there's an education, there's a right discernment. Next, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with or filled in the Spirit. Speak psalms and hymns to each other. Wearing the armor of light includes the way we care for and the way we minister to each other. Give thanks to God the Father. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. We're told to be awake. There is what I would call here a clarion call. Have you ever heard that term, a clarion call? It's, a, it's an instrument. It's a horn. And it gave a piercing call over the battlefield so that every soldier knew exactly what was being messaged through that horn. That's the clarion call. I would say here, there is a clarion call in this verse to cast off what is natural. I want to say quickly to everyone, Christians and non-Christians who are here with us today, this verse is a clear call to put off what's natural. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's acceptable. And, and here's the sad reality. Because it's natural, it is also fairly common. And because it's natural and common, we often sit unaware that it describes us. The vile work of darkness. We... We might not easily confess, yes, I am walking in the natural and vile work of darkness. But that call is clear. Everyone off the natural. Even though it might be to us subtle. But by the Redeeming work of the Holy Spirit. I hope that all of us would see 
unacceptable those works are before God. That we would cast that off. The Holy Spirit would convict every one of us. And if you are not yet in Christ, that you would feel incredible by the Holy Spirit and hear this call, cast off those works of darkness. Second point for our time today is that we should walk virtuously. Walk virtuously. So not only warring, but the way we're walking matters. Look at verse 13 and 14. Let us walk properly, as in the daytime. Okay? There's a statement. Walk properly, as in the daytime. Now, the scripture gives us a sort of contrasted list. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but, so, walk properly as in the daytime, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In case I forget to describe this about verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh. This is instruction. This is imperative instruction to Christ followers to continue in spiritual warfare. And we have to see that part of that spiritual warfare is against our own fallen self, our own flesh. So we're not, we're not talking about dueling natures. Oh, there's my old desire to sin, and then there's my, my new desire for righteousness, and these two are at war with each other. That's, that's not completely accurate. Instead, there is the new spiritual life in Christ, and then there is the old flesh. You've heard me say before that we might not do baptism the best way. If we really were concerned about the old flesh, we would baptize people longer than we do. And then we wouldn't have this problem. Walk properly, the word is appropriately, as in the day. Inappropriate walk. It would be inappropriate for anyone who confesses the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, since the resurrection, we can see the glow of the dawn. It would be inappropriate for anyone to walk like it was 1030. Because it's not, it's morning. Inappropriate walk. You ever see someone walk inappropriately? My youngest daughter walks inappropriately. Here's what I mean. Uh, she's not here right now. She's home taking care of another daughter who doesn't feel good. But she's not here. And I, I think they're probably not watching online. So my youngest daughter, I wish they were. I love you, Kenzie. But um, my youngest daughter has an inappropriateness in her walking. Here's what I mean. When we really get in a hurry, when we really get in a hurry, so that's like 98% of our life, and we're really hurrying, and we say, come on, Kenzie, we've we're got to go. That triggers something in Kenzie, like, like some sort of like panic mode, that creates this walk. Like if everything's fine, then she's skipping around and she's fine. But we noticed it from when she could first walk. Like the more pressure we put on her to go quickly, the slower she got. No matter how, we, are in, we are so late and in such a hurry 
come on, honey, faster. And the more we said that, the slower she got. That walk isn't a gate that communicates urgency. It's the same as, you know, if you're fleeing from a burning building and you're strolling like this and twiddling your thumbs. That is inappropriate walk. And that same thing is true of us spiritually. Don't walk inappropriately knowing the night is far spent and the day is at hand. So here, he gives the contrast. This is a radical example of what it would mean to walk inappropriately. You know when David shows up at the battle scene where Goliath is in the valley and he's challenging the army of God? And David gets there and he looks around and he says, isn't there a cause? Basically what David says is, this is inappropriate. Okay, listen, listen to these three examples he uses. First, he says, walk appropriately, not in orgies and drunkenness. That describes literally the celebration people would engage in after winning a military battle. Now, I am in no way justifying that, but can you put yourself in the shoes of someone who goes off to battle in the morning thinking half of us aren't coming back? And they go off and they do bloody and horrific hand-to-hand combat and half the guys come back. How do they behave that night? They didn't think they were going to live through the day. And they would get into all of this celebration of self and sin and vile behavior because the most important thing to them remained. This is this unfortunate depiction for a Christian who believes that they've won victory because they've escaped hell. So now they begin celebration prematurely. One of my first visits here to Emmanuel, I had asked if I could go and visit with the staff pastors. And I remember I went into uh, the music pastor's office, who was here at the time, and we, I had sent him an email of some things I wanted to talk through. And one of the bullet points, I said, I'm, I'm leery of music that is prematurely triumphant. And when I got here, he asked about it. He said, what's that, what's that mean? And I said, sometimes the church does exclusively celebration, like, like cheering and celebrating as if the war is already over. For us spiritually, that's what this is. It is to say, like when David said, is there not a cause? This is to say, the cause is over. It's won. I'm not going to hell. There's nothing for me to do anymore. The cause is over. He builds the list. He talks about immorality and sensuality. It, it's literally the term pornea. I don't know if you knew that. But the Greek word for this immorality and sensuality is the word we get pornography from. Pornea. It's a reference to general sexual immorality. It is the act of selfishly taking another person's spouse for yourself. Is there not a cause? This person who is living like there's no daytime is basically saying there is no cause. There is no cause. Third, he says walk appropriately not in quarreling and jealousy. 
This is to contend, to compete for what someone else has. It is that the spiritual would make every other person poor just so they can get rich. In other words, this is a person who says, we are the cause. David shows up on the scene and says, is it not a cause? The first group of people say, the cause is over, we won. The second person says, there's no such thing as a cause. And then the third person says, I am the cause. There is a cause, and it's me. Therefore, they get into quarreling and jealousy. If the night is going to last forever, then stockpile everything you can and enjoy it. Because we're going to be here for a while. However, that's not what we ever see in biblical perspective when the gospel takes root in a person, such as Acts chapter 2. So the point of this list is to draw our attention to the activities that men do under darkness, and they would be ashamed of doing if they were being seen. These are the things that people would not do if they really thought the light was going to expose it. John chapter 3, verse 20. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Walk appropriately. Not in those things, self-serving things, but, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. What does it mean for a Christ follower to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Colossians 2.6 refers to this too. It says, therefore, as you have received Christ, so now walk in Christ. I do not have the opportunity this morning to parse out some nuance, draw, draw clean lines between everything. Here's what I want to say generally and then move on. There is this question about carnal Christianity. Is carnal Christianity a real thing? Can a person who is in fact a Christian live just like they used to? There are some people who would ask that question. I would say, no, there is not that possibility. That person is what we would call a, a false convert. Has not truly been transformed. However, is there personal responsibility to be living according to what has been worked out in us? I would say yes. That is having first received Christ and then walking in Him. In other words... We don't just get positional righteousness. Pastor Will prayed this this morning. It is, it is not just that we are positionally righteous, but we are being implored by Scripture toward the practical righteousness that the Spirit first induces in us. There's a sort of already but not yet. This is about sanctification, which is the theme of Romans 12 through 16. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like an athlete who's already signed a contract with a team, then is given a uniform to wear, so that when the contest starts, 
there would be no mistaking who they play for. You've heard the story about the soldier who stood on one side of a battlefield, right on the battle lines. One army here, the opposing army here. And he had to get a message across the battlefield. And so he, he comes up with this idea where he will sew two uniforms together. One, his right half would reflect the uniform of this army, and the left half would reflect the uniform of this army. And he rides through the battlefield, and we would go, wow. Kind of a, kind of a, um, um, a, a secret Christian. And he rides through, and he delivers the message, and then turns around to go back. Having then received Christ, basically put on the uniform, make it clear who you play for as a testimony of the fact that you're not doing some sort of secret operation. He says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word provision, make no provision, it means forethought, it means scheming, planning. You hear that? Christian brothers and sisters, did you hear that? Because I read a list before, like, okay, no orgies, no sensuality, no trying to steal everyone else's stuff so you get rich. And you're like, okay, I can do that. Now listen, make no provision for the flesh. Don't become fixed on fleshly things in your mind. Even the thought of self-serving sin can induce a sleepiness in the believer. Not being active, being passive, omitting the walk of faithfulness so that you can sit privately and imagine what it would be like to sin. Make no forethought for the flesh to gratify its desires. Thomas Manton said, every corruption has a voice. Meaning every sin has a way to justify itself. You might be thinking, I'm not committing a sin. I'm just sitting here idly thinking about it. James 1.14 Each person is tempted when he's lured away by his own lust and enticed. Then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it grows up, brings forth death. Saying to yourself, friend, that I'm not doing it, I was just thinking about it, is step one of ultimately your spiritual death. Or shipwrecked faith. Put on the armor of light. Here's what I want you to understand. The armor of light is Christ. Putting on the armor of light is putting on Christ. Psalm chapter 1. We're familiar with this passage. Bless the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But this guy delights in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. Put on Christ. What does this metaphor mean? Walk properly as in the day. What does it mean practically? Walk properly as in the day. 
I want to show you, we're called this, this metaphor, which we might not understand. And I don't, know if we, I don't know if we know the practicality of it. Walk properly. That, that sounds kind of subjective, right? Like, in a minute, you're going to pray, and we're going to go home, and all you said was walk properly. Which, from the illustration, means fast. Don't walk slow. What does it mean to walk properly? Well, can I help you with some application just by giving you the, the contrast? Sometimes we learn a lot through contrasting lists. Walk properly, not like this. The, the orgies, the jealousy, the sensuality. The contrasting list to walking properly is, I want, I enjoy, I deserve, give me more. That's inappropriate walk. Walk appropriately. Okay, listen. The contrast walk to walking property, properly is to walk in selfishness and do things, quote, secretly that we would be ashamed to do if they were done in the light of day. The inappropriate walk perceives that the cause is over. And this, I, I'm very concerned about that point, Christians. I'm very concerned that we see the confession of our faith, the moment of our salvation being our graduation. I'm, I'm very concerned that we see that as the completion rather than the beginning. The cause is over. Let's celebrate. Why, why has God saved a sinner like me? Why? It's a big question. According to Ephesians, Paul says that we might live to the praise of his glory. The second, the selfish person says there is no cause. There's, there's no point. We're not going to receive some reward, so let's heap to ourselves whatever pleasures we can right now. And then that third selfish perspective or selfish walk is a person who thinks they are the cause. And so when we say walk properly, put on Christ. Now, all this selfishness, right? Don't do that. Walk properly. What do you mean? Put on Christ. What's Jesus like? Who, for the cause before him, endured the cross. Did not come to be served, but to serve. And regarding the cause, he said to his father, not my will, not my cause, but your cause. Your will be done. When it comes to not being selfish, walking properly, it might include serving other people. But mostly it's about what we think in our mind, the transformed mind. I wonder if you think selfish, selfless walk includes learning. I wonder if you think that selfless walk, walk properly, the inappropriate walk is selfishness. 
Walk properly, selflessly. I wonder if you think learning is selfless and therefore appropriate walk, considering the time. I want to share with you first, uh, this should be 2 Timothy, I'm quite sure. 2 Timothy 2.1. You then, my children, be strengthened by the grace that is in the Lord Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled with civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I want to repeat that. Did you hear? We are in spiritual warfare. Therefore, be learning so that you can teach people who will teach people. Don't be selfish. Be growing. Be learning. So what could happen is we could say, okay, if if this bad walk is all selfish, hedonism, get whatever I want, then the good walk must be acts of service. Teach a Sunday school class. Uh, Be a deacon. Do ushering. That's true. But do we then omit learning for the sake of teaching? In John 21, I am really struck by the conversation between Jesus and Peter. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Uh, You know my heart. And Jesus says, if you do love me, what does he say next? Feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Walk properly. Please don't omit your own spiritual maturity. Because your spiritual maturity is not about you. It's about teaching people who will teach people. Don't assume that, that spiritual growth is the opposite from service. Like Martha in the kitchen was getting it right. But Mary at Jesus' feet learning was getting it wrong. Just guard yourself against that Martha perspective. She comes bolting out of the kitchen. Goes, what? I'm serving here. This whole orientation is really countercultural. I understand. I mean, if, if I were to put one motto on the age in which we live, one motto. It would be this. Get all you can, can all you get, and burn the rest. That's the motto of the day. Whatever you can get, get it. Tuck it away where no one can take it from you and burn whatever's not yours. Ooh, that got dark. Yeah, I watched the news last night. I'm in a dark mood. Right? That's the motto. The model of the gospel, the model of Jesus Christ, is countercultural to that. I want to say a word about season of life. Some of you are, are in a moment where you're doing a, a unique spiritual battle. You're on the threshold of retirement. There's so much pressure to live for ourselves. 
to enjoy our much-deserved rest. Think about the way that we're taught to think about parenting. Like, oh, I just got to get them to 18 and then I can punch out. Labor. Man, I'm putting my 40 hours in and then I'm done. I don't have enough energy to go and do extra things. And then, of course, 60, 65 years old. And then, then I can enjoy my sleep. I can put pajamas on and not give any thought to the armor of light. And I know there's so much pressure in a cultural expectation to live differently than this clarion call. John Phillips says, we realize here that at the present time, or that the present time is of high importance. Right now, today, is of great importance to your Lord. We are never to stop operating as priests, as reasonable worship to God. What does our present walk say about our belief in the day of the Lord? What does it say about our confidence that Christ is, Christ's resurrection is the dawn? So the passage says to us, wake up because the day is dawning. Stop walking around in nighttime clothes and put on the armor of light that is Christ. Put off selfish desire to satisfy yourself. There is a cause. The cause is nearer now than when we first believed. And the call is, or the cause is ultimately the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We pray his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying for the day of the Lord. Pray in faith that what we're praying for will be realized. And I just wonder if our walk, when it's exposed instantly to the light, I wonder if we'll perceive right now it's appropriate or inappropriate. Let's pray together. Lord Father, we pray together. We pray for each other. We pray for our church. How we walk is important to our spoken gospel. Make us to be good stewards not striving for some sort of ambiguous success, but make us to be stewards and faithful. Walking appropriately, not putting on selfishness and fleshly things, but putting on the armor of light, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then to walk in Him. It is hypocritical for the children of the day to walk around as if night will last forever. So Lord, we would pray your will to be done as you declare it, that our lifestyle be consistent and honest in front of Gentiles, in front of those who are lost. And so God, continue to do a work in us as your spirit has already brought us from death to life. And Lord, continue to complete that good work in us. And the overflow of, of the Spirit's work in us would be that there is no mistake we're walking appropriately as in the day. So we pray for each other. We pray for each other that way as a group of brothers and sisters and as a church in Jesus' name.